to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. Today we continue our sermon series, Roots to Roots, looking at the creeds and confessions of our church tradition. A tradition is just a conversation across time, and we've been looking at various moments in the conversation. Last week, we looked at the second Helvetic Confession, written in Switzerland in the mid-16th century. And today, we're going to fast forward about 100 years, as you can tell, uh, to England, to look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The catechism was a teaching tool to teach children the fundamentals of the faith, what they could hang their hats on, to, to summarize Scripture. It was written in England. It's based on the Westminster Confession. And I've chosen two, two scripture passages, two verses to go along with it. The first comes from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. The second comes from Romans 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him all things, To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that you might teach us about this mystery of glorifying you and enjoying you forever. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I often ask people, when was the first time you heard the Westminster Shorter Catechism? And that's the exact look I usually get. (laughs) I first encountered the Westminster Shorter Catechism on the opening page of Norman MacLean's A River Runs Through It. He writes, in our family, there was no clear line between religion and fly fishing. We lived at the junction of great trout rivers in western Montana, and our father was a Presbyterian minister and a fly fisherman who tied his own flies and taught others. He told us about Christ's disciples being fishermen, and we were left to assume, as my brother and I did, that all first-class fishermen on the Sea of Galilee were fly fishermen, and that John the favorite was a dry fly fisherman. (laughs) It is true that one day a week was given over wholly to religion, On Sunday mornings, my brother Paul and I went to Sunday school and then to morning services to hear our father preach, and in the evenings to Christian Endeavor and afterward to evening services to hear our father preach again. In between, on Sunday afternoons, we had to study the Westminster Shorter Catechism for an hour and then recite before we could walk the hills with him while he unwound between services. But he never asked us more than the first question in the catechism. What is the chief end of man? And we answered together so one of us could carry on if the other forgot. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This always seemed to satisfy him, as indeed such a beautiful answer should. 
And besides, he was anxious to be on the hills where he could restore his soul and be filled again to overflowing for the evening sermon. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of a human being? What are we here for? This is an important question, if not the most important question. What is the chief end of a human being? What is the purpose? Why are we here? Well, what other answers does the world offer us? Maybe our chief end is to make money. But how much money is enough? Maybe our chief end is to be famous. But who's going to remember us in a thousand years? Maybe our chief end is to seek pleasure. Well, like a diet based on ice cream, it's only going to make you feel empty inside. The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes all of, all of Scripture with this central conviction. The man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him. I don't know about you, but I often don't hear the words glorify and enjoy too often when discussing religion. But that's our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Norman McLean's A River Runs Through It is probably why I am a Presbyterian. I'm a Calvinist. I've been deeply influenced by John Calvin. I'm a Bardian. Been deeply formed by Karl Barth. I'm a Robinsonian, been shaped by the writings of Marilyn Robinson. But I'm a Presbyterian because of Norman MacLean. Listen to this beautiful picture he paints of his father's life of faith. As a Scot and a Presbyterian, my father believed that man by nature was a mess and had fallen from an original state of grace. Somehow I early developed the notion that he had done this by falling from a tree. As for my father, I never knew whether he believed God was a mathematician, but he certainly believed God could count, and that only by picking up God's rhythms were we able to regain power and beauty. Unlike many Presbyterians, he often used the word beautiful. I have aspired to be a Presbyterian like Norman McLean's father. I know that human beings are a mess. Just this past week, friend announced he's getting a divorce. Another friend faces financial ruin. Another person told me she wants to fall in love but will never ask anyone out on a date. Someone else can't let go of an old grudge and is trapped in bitterness. Gambling addictions, drug addictions, resentment and depression, loneliness and despair. Humanity by nature is a mess. But if we can regain God's rhythms, we can regain power and beauty. It's by finding those rhythms that we glorify God and enjoy Him. That is a beautiful thing. Ever since reading those lines from A River Runs Through It, I've tried to insist on using the word beautiful again and often. Yes, I can see the disease, the despair, the death in this world. I've chosen not to let death have the last word. Determined to recognize beauty, 
Call attention to it. Name it when we see it. Today on the way into church, I saw a sunrise. It was beautiful. I saw kids playing on the monkey bars. They were beautiful. I see you full of life and love and faith, and you are beautiful. My chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So by, by golly, I'm going to enjoy the divine in life while I can. Call myself a Norman McLean Presbyterian because I'll confront the mess and yet strive to focus on the beauty of life and enjoy God through it. And one passage about growing up with his brother Norman writes, in a typical week of our childhood, Paul, that's his brother, and I probably received as many hours of instruction in fly fishing as we did in all other spiritual matters. Notice what he says. He received, we received as many hours of instruction in fly fishing as we did in all other spiritual matters. That means fly fishing is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual activity. Why? Because he glorifies God and enjoys God through it. That means anytime you glorify God and enjoy God in an activity, it's a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual matter. That means watching a movie. Ballroom dancing, cooking dinner, going for a bike ride, swimming in the ocean, twirling a baton, or flying a bike. These can all be sites of sacredness. It's no accident that outside Chicago's United Center, there's a statue there of Michael Jordan. If you go see it on the base of it, there's a quote from A River Runs Through It, the movie. According to the Westminster Catechism and Norman McLean, playing basketball can be sacred. Maybe Michael Jordan would like to be a Norman McLean Presbyterian too. I don't know. <laughs> the chief end of human beings is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But what about the mess of life? What are we to do about the parts that don't glorify God that aren't that enjoyable? The heart of a river runs through it is the relationship between Norman, his brother Paul, his mom and dad. His brother Paul was a local newspaper reporter and a great fisherman living there in Missoula, Montana. He also struggled with a gambling addiction and was an alcoholic. He lived a high-risk life. And as is so true of so Many families, the question of how one son could struggle so much in life and the other son could be a model citizen is a mystery. Eventually, they find Paul's body after he'd been murdered. And there was no explanation. They never knew who did it. It was a tragic mystery. And on the penultimate page of the book, their father asks Norman if he knows what happened to his brother Paul. Norman says, I've said I've told you all I know. If you push me far enough, all I really know is that he was a fine fisherman. You know more than that, my father said. He was beautiful. Yes, I said, he was beautiful. He should have been. You taught him. Standing on the, this tragic mystery, Norman's father chooses not to retreat into the dark unknowns of evil and death, but he stands on the certainty of faith. He was 
beautiful. And when reflecting on that tragedy, that often, that so often happens that we can't help those we love. McLean says, we can love completely without complete understanding. We can love completely without complete understanding. Why can we do that? Because our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're called to, to love completely even when we cannot completely understand. This is what it means to glorify God. We can have hope amidst the dark shadows of life because we know God's intention to glorify and to enjoy. This is one of the reasons River Runs Through It is probably my favorite book. Not just because my dad was raised in Missoula, Montana. Not because his dad was raised in Missoula, Montana, just down the road from First Presbyterian Church where Reverend McLean served. Not because I visited there every spring break. No, it's because this book is a story about telling stories. See, how you tell your story helps make sense of your life. See, after college, Norman went and became an English professor at the University of Chicago. He rarely published any writing. In fact, he didn't publish anything until he published A River Runs Through It after he had retired and he was in his mid-70s. And towards the end of the book, Norman recounts a conversation with his father that hints at why he eventually goes on to write the book. Norman's brother has been murdered, and they're trying to make some sense of the tragedy, and Norman writes this. Once, for instance, my father asked me a series of questions that suddenly made me wonder whether I understood even my own father, whom I felt closer to than any man I had ever known. You like to tell true stories, don't you, he asked. And I answered, yes, I like to tell stories that are true. Then he asked, after you have finished your true stories sometime, why don't you make up a story and the people to go with it? Only then will you understand what happened and why. Norman's father understood the power of a story. And he knew that Norman had to tell his own story. The story of his family imbued with all the perspective and emotion and feeling of himself. He had to tell his story in his own way, and he chose to do that against the great question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The close of the book, the last two paragraphs. Norman draws all the strands together. Family, fishing, God. In my opinion, it's maybe the most beautiful passage in English literature. And he begins to see his story against the great backdrop of God's story. He says, of course, now I am too old to be much of a fisherman. And now, of course, I usually fish the big waters alone, although some friends think I shouldn't. Like many fly fishermen in western Montana, where the summer days are almost arctic in length, I often do not start fishing until the cool of the evening. 
Then in the Arctic half-light of the canyon, all existence fades to a being with my soul and memories and the sounds of the big Blackfoot River and a four-count rhythm and the hope that a fish will rise. Eventually, all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. The waters remind Norman of his divine destination to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The waters remind Him of the great flood that washed sin from the face of the earth. The waters remind Him of baptism and that we belong to God in light of those timeless raindrops. Remember what your purpose is. Why you are here. What your goal in life is. You are created and now called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank You. This great call on our lives to glorify You, to enjoy You. I pray that we might do that. Or that You might show us how to do it. And You might show us how to love completely even when we don't completely understand. Lord, in Your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.